0: On this episode of Her Wild Outdoors, Jen Shears joins me for a conversation that I learned a heck of a lot from, and I hope that you do as well. There's a lot about prepping and planning for long term hunts, especially with a child in tow. But we also get to hear her history of how she began in the outdoors, of how the outdoors has impacted her from being a little kid, watching her grandmother and mom and all of her family hunt and take advantage of the outdoors to nail. So listen in, enjoy the conversation and go follow Jen and see what's coming up for her. All right. Thanks for joining me for another Her Wild Outdoors episode. Today, I have the honor of talking with Jen Shears. And Jen, I'm so excited that you have joined me today because I've been following you for a little bit. And it's kind of like one of those, am I going to get to talk to her? Am I going to get to talk to her? So I'm thankful that you joined me today.
1: Oh my goodness, Amy. Well, likewise, I've been following you for a while too, and I'm actually truly humbled that you even considered me
0: to be on your podcast. So, so thanks. I'm so stoked about this. Well, I think that when it comes down to it, the ladies that I enjoy talking to are the ones that I can relate to. And, uh, I don't have sponsors. I don't have, you know, money coming in or free stuff coming in. And most of the women, most of the hunters out there don't. And so I think that that's just a great way of being able to sit back and say, okay, I can listen to this story and I can relate to it. I can Mm -hmm. learn something from it. I can take something from it. And so I know that I will from this conversation and I'm sure many others that are listening will as well. That's awesome. So stoked. Yeah. Well, tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you how the outdoors has impacted your life. Just give us kind of a how it got started and who you are.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm from Newfoundland, which is an island off the coast of Canada in the North Atlantic. And uh, in Newfoundland, we've got a real deep and solid connection to the environment, to where we live, to the land and the creatures and the ocean. Um, So growing up, Um, being out on the land and living off the land was just part of our life and part of how we lived and how we sustained ourselves. So I always joke um, that when I was growing up, if I didn't eat things like bear or moose or grouse or rabbit that I wouldn't eat, because <laughs> that was what was served in our house. Mm-hmm. And um, my, uh, my parents, we were very like middle-class and uh, it was a way of saving money and stuff as well to, to go into our cabin and harvest the moose and bring it home and mm-hmm. feed the family for the year. So um, it, it was just how I was raised to, to see I like that's how that's how life is and um i continued that uh as i met carrie my husband so we've been together since we were 15 and um he's always had an interest in the outdoors and hunting and fishing and trapping so that was part of our courtship i guess you could say we'd go out duck hunting and rabbit catching and fishing and then um as we grew older together and had some disposable income, we thought, you know, we like to travel and we love the field to table way of life. And as we travel, we'd like to get to know that aspect of the places we visit. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got into kind of hunting um, off the island and and more like around north america and abroad even and we have a daughter now her name's aspen she's seven and it's really important to us to instill those values around sustainability and conservation and living off the land um, and and just healthy lifestyle and uh and bring her on our on our adventures uh is, is one good way that we're really able to foster that within her
0: yeah that's um Man, seven is such a great age. (laughs) So much fun. I, I really enjoyed um that age with my kids. And then each a each year as they have progressed in in kind of what we do and the adventures that we take, it has been a sweet joy to watch them grow through it. So um yeah, seven was a magical age for me with my kids, both of them. And uh I love that y- it was kind of ingrained in you from the beginning. You get kind of a mixture of that with women when you talk to them, but the majority, I would say 75% of the women that I've talked to, it has been more of a later in life thing, whether it was 20s, 30s or 40s, um getting to talk to women where it was a family thing as they were growing up is pretty cool. It's it's something that I honor and cherish hearing because that's going to be my daughter one day, you know?
1: She's going well, to look
0: back and feel the same way.
1: Totally. And and I think I'm in, in my head, I'm like, when I was growing up, there was no social media. There was not even cell phones, really. Yeah. Um, so I, I think to be able to influence them early before they are more susceptible to being influenced by peers or social mm-hmm. media or celebrities. Um, you're just kind of that far ahead of the game in terms of trying to um, kind of, at, not even saying to persuade them, but to at least open their eyes to that aspect, that potential of, of living um, that way of life, because it's kind of hard to rein the young ones back in w- once they've kind of passed that you're no when you're no longer the biggest influence in their life. I would say. Yeah. Um, so it's not to say it's too late once they've passed that to start, but I, I have a lot on my plate, so I'm thinking if I if I get her early, then I won't have too much of a job to kind of bring her back in.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's those values that you're trying to set a foundation for, right? It's um, it. it's when they started. I don't, when was it? It was right before she was, she might've been one. So my first child was my daughter and when she was one and we were going over the animal sounds, right? It's Mm -hmm. when that's, (laughs) I mean, you're starting that early. You're talking about the food that you're eating and equating it to the sounds that she's making and the pictures that she's seeing. Um, It's starting there with not Devaluing animal life, but valuing it on all counts. And I think, I don't know, I look at kids who don't know that they're eating pig when they're eating a piece of bacon. And I think that the value is lost on that education. I think that you're setting them up later for fear of what they're eating, for um, regret. In finding mm-hmm. out a couple years down the road what they're eating and having to process the thoughts later on versus just being upfront in the beginning about it, and it's not like we're sitting around going, you know, here's the bloody carcass of the pig that you are eating. It's not that. It's no. a, it's a very age appropriate way of having a conversation about truth. Exactly.
1: You're bang on. And and that's, that is a beautiful way of summarizing exactly why we do what we do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So you have had many hunts in your life. (laughs) Yes. Did your mom hunt as well? Was it a whole family thing or was it predominantly male on that side of it?
1: you know, it was certainly, um, the women in my family as well. So mom, um, as far as I can remember was hunting, um, she'd go out with dad and she'd have her moose license. We'd always make fun of her cause she would never go out the door without putting her makeup on first. And I I'd joke as like a six year old, the moose aren't going to see your uh, mascara or that you have your blush on. And now, now I see where she's coming from, you know, like you want to feel like yourself when you go out and if makeup is part of that, then, then you do it. Right. 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 (laughs) Um, so yeah, mom, mom did hunt and, uh, my nan who's 89, she just got her moose again this year. So, um, being outdoors and, and the hunting and fishing aspect was always, it was always modeled for me by, by strong women. And I'm so grateful for that because I know that's not what everyone has. And I don't take it for granted in the least.
0: Yeah. I I think that we're going to notice like your story is in the minority, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. something that you value tremendously and treasure because it is not a story that you hear often, but the generation that's coming up now, th- we're going to have more Kids that have women in their lives who have been hunting, who have passed it down, and I think that's an awesome thing to to look forward to.
1: It's so exciting, and it's one of my, if probably if not the biggest, it's one of the biggest motivators for me in terms of putting myself out there. Um, as you know, as you're experiencing in the past few days, especially um, mm-hmm. we're we're prone to getting a lot of hate as uh, women who hunt. And, um, like, I don't need that in my life to be frank. Yeah. But, but when I do get the messages saying my daughter is really inspired by you, or my wife is going to come out on an elk hunt with me for the first time, because she sees that she can do it Mm -hmm. and, and she has, you know, solid models for her, um, that fuels me. And, uh, and one message like that, Counterbalances the fifteen hundred hate mail <laughs> messages that I get. So, um, to me, that's so exciting that the generation coming up can can have those role models and um, at their fingertips. Basically, it's yeah. it's so
0: it's so cool. It is cool, and I don't like to like I don't like to give credit to the negative, right? But. In my mind, I'm constantly thinking I've gotten messages over and over and over that from men saying that they believe that the women in our hunting community do get more hate than the men. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why do you think that is? Why do you think that women get more of that response than men do? Do you think it's because we are seen as this soft, mothering, um, sweet, uh, can't hurt a fly, can't just that mentality. And so when you see a woman out there hunting, it goes against the grain. Or are we just an easier target? I don't know.
1: I I think it's a bit of both, really. I think that um, when, when people kind of think of their typical gender roles Mm -hmm. um in in western culture anyway uh they would normally revert to thinking that a woman wouldn't be out in the field chasing down their family's food they'd be inside getting it ready right um and, and at the same time when these people who they really have they really have no shame or no sense of right from wrong, despite what they try to convey in their attacks. Um, they do see us probably as more vulnerable to those things. And, um, I find women usually get more attacks about their looks and everything Mm. as, as opposed to men who hunt, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of both. And, um, I would say it's an uphill battle, but I like to take the my reasoning and my approach is that rational people will respond to rational dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I am, I'm more than happy to engage in rational dialogue with people who are willing to listen. Now, if I do see it's going off track and I'm, I have no chance here and it really is their intentions are not, um, are not real and good, then I I have no
0: problem with the block button. Oh yeah. It's a magical button that that if you go back to any if you've ever had counseling if you've ever been in um any kind of education of counseling boundaries are good <laughs> <Yes>. and that <laughs> uh... that block button is a tool that is there not to hide but to to create a healthy place for you to be in. And so, yeah, I'm not afraid of that button either. No, use it. It's there to use. It's true. And I love kind of what you said about the rational and irrational. The mentality that my husband and I have always had in dealing with irrational is you cannot rationalize with irrational. It's impossible. Exactly. So the every breath you take trying to do that is wasted and it's just not worth it. That's right. No, I hear you. We're on the same page, girl. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, tell me a little bit. I want to hear about some of your favorite hunts that you've had over your lifespan and why they're your favorite.
1: Oh my goodness. There, there are so many, you know, every hunt um, has something special about it and I, I find it hard to answer the broad question, about which one is my favorite? Because am I looking from of the point of view of interaction with the animal? Am I looking from the point of view of, I had to withstand crazy elements? Mm-hmm. Um, am I looking from the point of view of, I got in my own head, but I overcame it kind of thing. But, um, some of, some of my favorite hunts would probably be my, my sheep hunts. Those are, are true tests of, um, physical and mental Mm -hmm. aptitude and capacity. And, you know, some of them, some of my favorite hunts are hunts that I didn't even harvest an animal. Um, it was just knowing that I, I had succeeded in surviving basically right. in, the, <laughs> in, in the rawest form of that word, literally surviving. And, um, it, yeah, it, uh, those, those are hunts that that are really meaningful to me. Um, there are some hunts like when I went up North, uh, um, to Northwest territories and uh, went on a polar bear and a muskox hunt for me, the most incredible portion of that was the whole cultural Um, experience Mm -hmm. and awareness that came from that. And um, just being, knowing that your presence and that your, the way you value their culture is extremely appreciated and not necessarily something that they're used to, that they're almost used to people from down South, as they call it, going up there basically in and out as fast as they can, mm-hmm. maybe the less, inter- whether it's hunting or not, whether it's going up for government work or whatever, just people not being um, interested in or valuing their culture. And for me, that's the whole thing behind it. So we got invited to an elder's house to prepare and eat the polar bear feet. And the fact that they they thought or knew that we were into that just meant the world to them. Um, so, so that was probably one of the most uh, meaningful cultural experiences of my life. And in turn, that's that's what makes that hunt so special for me. Um, And then hunts when when Aspen is there. So my caribou, for example, I, I got one last year. She was there and she, uh, she even like snorted and, and got the caribou to to turn and almost start to come in. So that was, she was six at the time and for her to be there and see that and, and do that with, with me and us is, is so special. And then when she came on the Yukon hunt as well, this fall or this past summer, um, that was incredible. She was a seven-year-old in the mountains, of the Yukon backpacking for over two weeks. And, um, that was a huge learning process and a huge experience for our family, both testing myself and Carrie as parents and testing our family unit. Um, and that, yeah, that would certainly rank up there as maybe one of the top ones in my life to
0: have her there for that. Yeah. I think that it's, uh, It's safe to say that hunts along the way that they, I don't know, the favorite parts of them, you can see the evolution of yourself as a hunter in how you have applied yourself into that hunt, what you have received out of that hunt, and then how it changes over your life, Um, whether it's a short span being an adult starting into hunting or being a child and it carrying with you um, throughout your life. And I I look back to when I first started and some of the lessons that I pulled from those hunts, I look back now and I realize I still apply those. And mm-hmm. they're still my favorite hunts because of how much application they still have with me. um. But yeah, throw your kids in there and it exponentially changes what you are taking from the hunt. It's not just the harvest. It is so much more than that.
1: No, it's so right. Um, they, they add, they add a whole other dynamic. Um, and it's, you know, like a lot of things in life, so the harder you work for something in the end, uh, the more you appreciate it. And, um, children certainly do add that, uh, to it. So, um, yeah, I, I can see that evolution as you said, like when you're, when you're young, getting the animal down is like the thing and right. that's all that matters really. But then as you as you grow and, you realize what's important in life and, um, how your values may shift over time, Mm -hmm. Um, what you take out of hunts and what you strive to accomplish in hunts will vary. And, and that's a great, it's a great thing to see. And it's a, it's a great uh, thing to realize and to acknowledge that, um, our growth as people, um, translate, translates into things like our hunts and what we get out of it and how we parent and how we
0: combine all those things together. Yeah, I don't think there's enough credit given to uh, what hunting does for us as individuals, what we give back to our community, even outside of hunting, uh, what you give back to your town, the, the people around you, how patient you are with other people because you've learned how to be patient with yourself. And with hunters that are coming up underneath you, I think there's so many life lessons that come from hunting that can create a better person in the whole. Um, And we talk about it here and there a little bit, but there's so much emphasis that should go into that. It's, Uh, your whether it's your why of hunting is to pass down a heritage, whether it's to put food on the table, whether it's to uh, challenge yourself to grow outside of that comfort zone, it's usually a bit of all of it. And that completely applies to who you are as a person, not just as a hunter. It's so true. Life lessons in in the field are, are the best ones in my view. <laughs> I agree. I think that, and like you were saying, the hunts where you didn't even harvest, but you were just trying to survive. Not a lot of people get put into those situations, life or death. There are, uh there are situations outside of hunting, of course, that that can happen whether you're in the military or you are in a community that's not safe. There, there, all of these things can be applied, but, hunting, you are choosing to put yourself there. It is, exactly it. It's is—it's a choice to put yourself into a situation that stretches you versus being in a situation that you did not choose to be there. And so it's a mindset going in, this is going to be hard. This is going to be a challenge. This is going to be something that I might get in the middle of it and think, am I going to make it? And those choices create such a strong um mindset even just coming out of it or making it through it surviving yeah. it's huge it
1: it sure is and one of my biggest takeaways from hunting um over the last well many many years um is that you are capable of so much more than you give yourself credit for um that goes for physical and mental challenges Mm -hmm. um like i just i just think of um like doctors tell me not to do what i do i have i have a like a circulation, heart, blood, blood pressure thing going on. And uh, really, I'm not supposed to do a whole lot, but I'm thinking you only get one go at this life. And Mm -hmm. I, you're telling me I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it in a way that, that I can in my own way. So normally I'm slowly and taking my time doing it. Um, I I have a circulation problem. So my hands and feet go completely numb. And if I'm not careful, um, I will, End up with like gangrene and things like that, which is not ideal up in the mountains or right. up north. But here I am in minus sixty, you know, out for twelve hours a day in in the Northwest Territories. So um, it takes a lot of planning and preparation. But these are things that, with with the right supports and the right prep, what we can we can do it. Yeah. And I think of like uh, when I was in the Yukon, um, I went on the one sheep hunt. We didn't end up seeing anything any legal ramps, So the outfitter let us stay, but we couldn't carries with me at the time. And we both couldn't stay. We had work to attend to back at home. So I went to another camp location with another guide and watched Carrie kind of fly away in the float plane. And yeah. at that moment, I was like, I am not prepared to do this. Really. I was supposed to be going home to Aspen after two weeks and now Carrie's leaving, going back to her. And I'm here in the middle of the wilderness with a stranger. Um, I can't, I can't do this, but, but I did, we did as a team, you know, my guide and I, and, um, you, you, when you test yourself and, and you almost have no choice when you're kind of planked into it, you can really surprise yourself. And, um, It's been a huge confidence builder for me because anytime I think in one of my day-to-day interactions, I don't know if I can do this. I think back to those moments and I'm like, "Hmm, this feeling is familiar. I had this feeling exactly on October or or August 18th of last year. And boy, did I, you know, pummel through it and get through it and thrive. So um, I I truly value
0: that in, in drawing from my hunting experience. Yeah, that's, it's, it's the reminders of, um, I have to remind myself, this isn't anxiety. This is excitement. <laughs> yes, it's a fine line, isn't it? It is a fine line. You can have those same feelings and it can it can be a little bit of both too sometimes. And I think that- The true test is how do you respond to that feeling? Do you lean into it when you are able to or do you shy away from it? And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with one way or another. It depends on who you are and what you can handle spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. But being able to make that choice in your response and not regretting that response and and being um being able to expect or accept your response i think that's that's the true test of who you are and it sure is. um but yeah knowing okay is this fear that i need to step away from or is this excitement in order to step forward and yeah it's the same feeling so you really have to figure out how to respond to it
1: Uh, You do. It's, it's, it's a tough one, but, um, and I think sometimes how we respond to it
0: would vary if we knew what the outcome was going to be, but we don't have that luxury. (laughs) We we? don't, (laughs) we are walking on faith. That is, that is completely true. And, um, and that's also that adventure side of it, I think is what draws me to hunting. It's, it's not just am I capable of it? It is, um, it's that excitement that comes from it. And even at the end, when you do get um, what what you have worked hard for, whether it is a harvest or not, it's being able to walk away and say, "Dad, gum it, I just did that. Can you believe I, it? The pride, yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah, oh, yeah. um, well, I want to talk a little bit about these long hunts because, um, Especially solo hunting, <laughs> that's there's prep for there's prep for solo hunting, and there's prep for hunting with a child, and so those are almost two different things. There are things that, of course, overlap. I, I hunt with my kids, and I hunt solo, and so, but I've never hunted on a hunting trip longer than four days. So. Mm-hmm. What goes into your prep for that? What do you start with planning wise and how do you come to the fruition of that? Okay. Now we're on the hunt.
1: Mm-hmm. So the, the base, when I break it down and I think of that I'm going on a hunt that could be long. I, I need to think about what type of hunt is it? Is it solely a backpack hunt? Mm-hmm. Are there horses involved? Is it a, a long truck hunt? Um, so, so those that, that general question is where I start Mm -hmm. having said that though, regardless of the type of hunt, I always need to know and be prepared for the backpack element. So let's say I do have horses or a truck. What if it all just goes to shit and I end up needing to backpack, right? Do I have exactly what I need to, to get through to survive and maybe even carry on the hunt if it's not a, you know, terrible situation. Mm -hmm. Um, so I always base my, my pack and my packing around the backpack hunt, the bare minimum. And then based on what my other options are, the other luxuries you might have in terms of maybe having a pack horse involved, then you can add things. Okay. So I start small and then work my way up bigger based on my forms of transportation, for example. Um, there, in terms of like the the gear I bring and and the comfort and everything, um, there are some non-negotiables. Uh, re- I guess regardless of the type of hunting, and that would be my pack and my boots. So those are the two things. When I think of all my equipment, those are the two things that really need to fit me perfectly, and they're the two things that will impact my, my wellness and my right. well-being on the hunt. Um, so if, if, the, if the pack doesn't fit and you're chafing or if it's too small and you can't fit what you need in it or, um, all that, or if the boots make you blister mm-hmm. without, you know, the proper protection that you need, then, then those are things that I, I can't negotiate on. Those are things that have to be perfect for me. Um, so I would encourage anyone to find the pack and the boots that, that fit you and, and work for you. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, that's a break. Uh, a, a break it like that will break your hunt. It will. It will. It'll break your body.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so those, those are the key things. Um, and then, and then when you bring a child as well. So for like our our most recent hunt with Aspen in the Yukon was a backpack hunt. So you need to think about things that the luxuries that a child needs that you would never consider or, or need yourself. Um, just, just like even physiologically, the, the bare necessities like food, for example. I think about her being a seven-year-old growing girl and the certain nutrients and, and things that she needs that you might not find in a typical freeze-dried Food um, that you buy over the counter. So, I like I found myself lugging up cans of tuna, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you know more nuts and things that I normally wouldn't have. So it made my pack a lot heavier. But just trying to take care of her and and her needs to get her through it. Um, and you know things from home just she's she'd be with adults all day in the field and you know testing herself mentally and physically as well so just have extra battery packs so that she could watch maybe a movie on one of our phones or something like that um to kind of give her a reward and and keep her motivated during the day when you get back to the tent you can you can watch toy story if you want you know and, and that would that would keep her going and then also the friggin' unknowns. So I was we were in the middle of the Yukon with her and it's like, Mom, my tooth is really loose. And then I'm thinking, I'm not prepared for the tooth fairy up here. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, she would have expected the tooth fairy to show up. The tooth fairy is magic. It shows up wherever she is. Thankfully, the tooth didn't fall out. I was so careful. I'm like, you watch that face. You don't bang that face off (laughs) anything so the tooth (laughs) wouldn't fall out. But but things you don't even think of until you're in the middle of it. Like that was probably one of the most stressful moments on that entire event. Was when I when I realized
0: the tooth fairy might need to come, and I had no way of making that happen. Um, so, and that's something again. that wouldn't happen when you're on a trip with all adults. The those oh, are the no. things you just can't <laughs> plan for sometimes.
1: That's exactly right. Um, and then um, like for for myself as, as a woman. So when I set out on a 14 day hunt that turns into a 28 day hunt, guess what happens? Yeah. You get, you know, you get your period. Yeah. Um, But if you didn't expect that to happen and you're not prepared, then that's, that's a really almost debilitating thing when you're out in the field. So I have learned to go prepared, whether I'm going for like four days or whether I could be out there for the month that I know I would need my equipment. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the things that you learn and experience when you're, when you're out there and, um, you, you learn through, through things, um, hard lessons i guess when you're yeah. not prepared but you you realize that you you'll never make that mistake again after you've made it once so those are good learnings for me
0: those are it's i like how you started with the non-negotiables it's it's there are things you can be flexible with if something happens there are things that you can adapt to if they happen but there are some things that You have to be prepared for. I'd rather come home with a tiny bit of food than run out. And we tell the kids that all the time, whether we are going on a day hunt and we're just taking snacks or we're going for a couple of days and we need to take meals. It's, I would rather take a little bit more just in case than run out because running out will cut your hunt short and it could be um, it could be life altering in certain situations. So, Oh yes. Safety thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I loved how you said that. And I think that whether you're going on a short term trip or a long term trip, these are all things that can be applied.
1: Exactly. They, they are, they're the things that if worse comes to worse, what are the things that I need
0: to, to make myself
1: comfortable and be able to stay alive? So, and that that would include things like um, a tarp, for example, mm-hmm. I don't go anywhere without without my tarp in my pack. and uh, and again, the, the more you stray away from strictly a backpack hunt, the more things you can throw in there. Um, but but there are certain things that that need to be in your pack before I head out on any long, long hunts I mean I kind of have it down pat now I have my I have my system I know what I what I need and what's going to go in my bag but uh, when I was first starting at it I found it really important to pack my bag as I would um, have it on the backpack hunts and kind of train and walk around with it on my back and even things like um, you'll I, I put my empty water bladder in there, but then when I got on the hunt, my water bladder was full. It added a bunch of pounds that I wasn't prepared for. So you need to pack your bag at home exactly how you would have it. Stripe on your rifle or your bow, fill mm-hmm. up your water bladder and get used to walking around. Cause I can't imagine landing in the float plane or wherever you end up into the backcountry, And within the first few steps thinking wow, my hips are not going to take this. That's usually where I feel the weight the most is on my hips. If it's, if it's too, too heavy, I mean, you'll get into positions where you'll have the the meat and the animal in your pack and that's not pleasurable. It's not comfortable. It's probably not even safe sometimes, but right. Uh, right. You, you get through it for those, for those hours or day or two days, whatever, but to start off a hunt and not be fully comfortable in what you're having to lug on your back, that would be. Um, that would be a game changer and that would be the bad way to start. So pack your bag, fill up your bladder and to exactly how it will be when you start on your trek and make sure it's it's comfortable for you. It, if it's either bit of uncomfortable, um, you need to probably make some adjustments, especially if you're going to be hiking like that for, for 10 plus days.
0: Yeah, and you've got yeah, to... I don't know. You've got to kind of prepare for if you're uncomfortable in the beginning, how uncomfortable are you going to be packing something out? That's exactly you've got to plan for all of that. You always plan for a successful end to the hunt. So, um, (laughs) that's it. You might get to the
1: point where you're like, Oh, I can't get it until day eight because I need to eat enough food so that my pack is lighter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> try to save some food dumps that, that are known to happen on occasion. Uh-huh.
0: That day one hunt uh, uh, finishing and you're going, wait, hold on. <laughs> uh, oh, that happened on my, uh, on my
1: Yukon. So when we went with Aspen, um, so we were up in the mountains for 14, 15 days, um, hunting with Carrie. Then Carrie and Aspen went back to a backcountry cabin while I set off with uh, another guide we went up and, um, I got my Ram on the second day. So it was day 16 up there, but it was the second day of the new hunt. And I kept saying, I'm lugging this sheep off the mountain, myself and uh, Josh. And we got five days worth of food. still in our bags, <laughs> what? we should have we shouldn't just uh, waited, and not shot them that day. We should have waited so we could eat some more food.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but rather have the more food than none. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was awesome.
1: But it another, is another uh, must-have. Is would be the rain gear. I would say um, rain gear is is critical um, to w- once you get wet. There's not much you can do about it. So um, I mean, that's true. So, so having rain gear that you trust and that fits is is important as well.
0: Um, I uh, I have always told anybody who asks me uh, taking kids on a hunt what is the number one most important thing and i said keep them dry and warm <laughs> that's it yes if your child gets cold and wet you're done you need snacks you need something to entertain them you need something to kind of instill that sense of what's coming up next and and things like that but if they get cold you are done <laughs>
1: Exactly. And well, and the, the same kind of brings true for me myself with my, my circulation and my cardiovascular issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I, if I get cold and wet without the ability to to walk and warm up, then I'm, I'm done as well. But it's taken me a long time to realize that like years ago, I would probably, when I got cold and my hands and feet went numb, I literally would just crawl into like the fetal position and try to warm up. But I've come to learn over the past few years, especially that no, I, I, it takes me a while, but if I do move, I will Mm -hmm. get to warm up. But convincing a seven-year-old of that is not right. Not, not going to happen. They do the whole fetal position thing. So yes. you're exactly right. Keeping them warm and dry is number one.
0: Yeah. And being uh, an East Coast uh, tree stand hunter at times, you can't move. So figuring out... You know, different ways of keeping we, I bought the kids heated insoles because Mm -hmm. I knew we can't move. There's no way to get. I mean, there is spot and stock in certain areas and that kind of thing. But if we are going to be immobile In a stand, not moving up in a tree for hours on end, then I have to figure out a way to keep them warm without movement. And so that's a very valid point. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas came around last year and they got heated insoles and it was one of the best investments that I made in their hunting because it's kept them out longer. It's made them comfortable to where they can, instead of focusing on being uncomfortable, they can focus on, well, what was that sound? What was that movement? I saw a shadow. I'm looking for, um, for you know, a white tail or I'm listening for grunts. Like they're able to learn more when they're not distracted by that um, comfort. Or That's camper. so true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I notice it in myself as, as well. Um,
1: if, if all you're focusing on, it's like when you go to take a shot, if your hands are freezing, mm-hmm. um, which sometimes you can't control it, you just, you have to suffer it out, but you, you almost find yourself focusing more on my hands are cold than, okay, I need to go through my mental checklist for this shot is, is my, uh, my height adjustment, right. Is my parallax adjusted Is my cant Okay.
0: But like my fingers are freezing. Yeah, It's it's really hard to focus. It's a huge distraction. And I don't know there are points in time where you have to just muster through the pain, right? There are times where you have to go, okay, this hurts, but it's only going to hurt for another moment longer. If I can just do this, if I can just push through this and get moving, then it's going to fix. But, um, but then there are other times a child of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's impossible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. cannot. It is. It is near impossible to talk a kid into that. It is easier exactly. to be preemptive in it and to be prepared for uh, for a situation before it gets even that far. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Prep is huge. We, I have grown up a camper. So not a hunter uh, in my family growing up, but a camper. And so my mom was one of the best preppers for camping. She had every single need taken care of Plus the luxuries that we could possibly have. She was magnificent in the details. Um, My husband did not grow up camping. And so the first time we went camping together, uh, I had all of these things that had brought with me that uh, we had taken the kids with us and I had... Prepared with different medications, different this, different that, snacks, all of this kind of thing. And he goes, why, why would you pack an anti-nausea medication? Yes. I said, well, because you never know. And he goes, we're only gone for two days. We don't need all of that. That will just take, you know, the bare necessities. And I said, nope, this is one thing that we would need if it comes down to it and sure enough we had a kid wake up in the middle of the night vomiting and, and you needed it we needed it and it was a dissolvable <laughs> tablet that I was able to give to him that we were able to get things packed up and get all the way back home without uh, any more problems until we could be somewhere where it was Uh, a better situation. And at the end, he said, I will never question (laughs) any of your decisions (laughs) decisions again. (laughs) But you know, it takes, it. it takes having those situations to realize, okay, we did need that. And I had been in those situations where it wasn't planned, but it happened. And I, you know, when you're talking ounces in backpacking trips, those are the things that you kind of it it's an equation right it's a math equation on on what you're adding in necessity wise versus preparation wise and man that it takes a lot of planning it's not just to throw it together last minute unless you've been doing it your entire life but even then it takes a little bit longer than that It's tedious.
1: And even when you're talking about, say, if Carrie and I are both going together and we can kind of double up on some things or split it up versus if you're going by yourself. Um, So there are two different systems at play that we have when we're going either by ourselves or together. Um, So, yeah, there's there's a there's a lot to it. You're right, but yeah. it's, it's so rewarding and so worthwhile.
0: Yeah, I'm glad both of my kids are pretty much my height now. And so I've told them and you still have to worry, right? You still have to think about their body still growing and um, and handling weight, but they are still capable of carrying a lot of things that they need, um, yes. Without weighing down their skeletal s- structures and and overworking their bodies, they're still able to help out and be a part of that. So it's a it has been great having preteens and an almost you no know, she'll be a teenager this year, and so it's great uh. to be able to bring them into that responsibility of carrying their things and packing their things and learning what is needed and what is a want.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Aspen certainly has the capability. Does she have the willingness yet? (laughs) Not quite, but, but we're, we're getting there. I don't know. There are times where I, I don't have the willingness. (laughs) True enough. Well, I, you know, it's funny because that's what I was saying the whole time we were up there with her. Like she literally had a meltdown the first 50 yards of the, of the excursion. And I was like, why what are we in for why are we doing this but um we talked her through it and and we we forged on and you know throughout the the trip I was like man I I can't be mad at her for having her moments because geez we're all having our moments here and you know some of us have them internally some of some of us vocalize it a bit more but we're all going through the same thing and we've been through this before she hasn't so um that You know, just the compassion and the understanding and the patience around that certainly helped a lot with uh, with what was happening up there.
0: Yeah. And I think it's a great uh, hunting with kids has been a great preparation for hunting with another adult. (laughs) If I can be patient with my kids, then if I'm mentoring somebody else coming through it, I'm pretty sure that it's great practice, and it's going to uh, be yeah. implemented a little bit easier.
1: That's for sure. You'll have it down. No issues whatsoever.
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah. I uh, I think that we, as parents, taking our kids hunting. I think that I have become a better hunter because of them. Um, I don't think I know. I have become a better hunter having them with us. Um, I think it pushes me into sometimes having to fake it till I make it on confidence in what I'm doing um, and really relying on some of the skills that I know I have, but I haven't had to implement them. and. So there's, there's a little bit of confidence that you have to fake it till you make it when you have them with you in order to set the example. And that pushes me into a place where I've learned and grown. And, and I don't, this past year, my hunting grew three, four, five times what it was before that because they were with me. Because they were with you. How exciting is that? Like what Mm -hmm. a cool
1: experience to share um, between you and your children, you know, like life, life memories, life
0: lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so cool. Yeah, it's definitely treasured. And we had, I've, I've said it once before. We, we had a moment this year where my son said, "Hey, I don't want to hunt this year." And on the inside, I'm going, "Oh no, what happened?" And it had nothing to do with hunting. When we got down to the the bare bones of it and the foundation of that pr- thought process, it went back to, we lost our sweetest, dearest dog this past year. And ah. it's not that he was against hunting. It wasn't that he was against taking a life. He just had not finished processing <laughs> being a witness to that this year and so he needed just a little bit more time to process through it and as the season has evolved he has then worked through it and he's ready to hunt again but if we had rushed him into it if we had forced it what what would that have done to his mindset what would that have done to um his love for what we do and so i there is a definite balance with kids, especially, of of feeling out how much do I need to push and encourage. And when do I need to take a step back and say it's ok if you take this moment?
1: Yes.. It- it, and it goes for anything, whether it's hunting or right. hockey or piano lessons or a, you know anything right. they have going on. There's there's a huge um, understanding that needs to come to fruition between you to figure out what exactly why is it? Like you said, you, you didn't know at first, but you figured it out. Um, is it a rational feeling or is it an irrational feeling? Right. And how do we deal with how do we deal with either of those outcomes? Yeah. Um, and, and then decide, you know, like with, with hockey, for example, within the first 10 minutes, Aspen had decided she didn't want to play hockey, but at the same time, I was like, well, you, you don't even really know what it is mm-hmm. yet. So gent- gentle, gentle nudges versus forcing and balancing off. Is this going to turn them against it? Or is it actually going to work out in our favor?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there, there's a lot to consider, but, uh, it, I'm happy that it has it is working out for for your son with the, with the hunting and I'm sorry about your pop that's really sad. It's hard. It's go through hard. in our families.
0: Yeah, it's hard. It There are lessons that I'm grateful happen while we are still here to guide them through it, uh, and that's with everything. That's with learning uh, how important the truth is. That's important in. um in guiding them through being authentic and their authentic selves, and being proud of who they are, and and finding value in who they are, and learning who is important to find value from, and uh, and I, I'm just glad that these situations can happen while they're still within our reach of of um, of a hug even if that's just exactly. what it is. Yeah. Well, what do you guys have planned for this year, this next year? For the next year, um, there are a few hunts that
1: kind of got put off because of COVID and travel restrictions and everything. So we're going to see how that plays out. I have a couple of sheep hunts booked, um, whether I'm able to um, go on them or not. I'm. We'll see. We'll see how our right. things roll in the next few a few months um but we have been filming all these hunts that we went on the past year so our bighorn double in in Alberta the doll sheep hunt with Aspen in the Yukon Uh, some recent deer hunting and moose hunting here in Newfoundland we've been filming for um a show that we're going to be airing on wild tv which is canada's largest outdoor and hunting and fishing network and uh, wild tv is also on amazon prime in the united states from from what i gather so we yeah we're just cleaning up filming for that and getting ready to go into the uh the production of, of the show. So we're really looking forward to that. Um, doing hunting shows, people have been approaching me for a few years saying like, Jen, you should you should do it. But I just, it's not something that I had an interest in. Like I just enjoyed doing what I was doing. But then I, more I realized, you know, we go on these epic adventures and really all we have to show for it is a few phone camera pictures and videos. So to have something put together Mm -hmm. that Aspen can have when she's older, that maybe we have grandkids one day, we can show them, look, look, look what Nan and Pop did when they were younger. We thought, you know, that would be super cool to have. So Uh, We're doing it for this season in 2020, despite the crapshoot that it has been, has been an incredible (laughs) hunting season for us. So um, of all the years to have undertaken something like that, this was the one to do it. So we're looking forward to seeing that get all put together and airing, um, I think maybe late summer and fall of 2021. So those are the main things that we, we have going on hunting wise.
0: That's pretty exciting. I mean, that's, I didn't even know that. Everybody who's listening, I didn't even know that. That's really exciting, Jen. Um, and I do get that. There's a sense of wanting to protect what you love to do by keeping it just fun and exciting and your thing, but then to be able to document it and have it to look back on and say, look what we did, look what we used to do, look what we, or (laughs) look at how far we've come. I think that is a huge value to be able to take with you and Aspen to look back and say, look where this all started. Look at where this foundation Mm -hmm. uh, began and how far I've come. And so that's a huge that's something to be excited about.
1: Thanks. Yeah, we're we're really we're really pumped about it. And like I said, to have Aspen involved this year as much as she has been, um, it's just the icing on the cake. And for her
0: to have the stuff to look back on is is our entire motivation. So yeah, thanks, Amy. We're, we're really stoked. Awesome. Well, tell people real quick how they can follow you. And of course we just said while TV next fall, uh, late summer, early fall will be something for us to look out for But How can they follow you or contact you if you've, they've got questions?
1: Sure. Well, I love hearing from people. Um, so by all means, please reach out. Um, I'm most active on Instagram. So my handle there is at smidgen so that's s-m-i-d-j-e-n I Uh, I also have a blog which is jenshears.com so I haven't been as active on that as I would like to but I haven't stopped hunting this year I've been in the mountains (laughs) and in the bogs and everything so it's hard to do a blog when you're at that but hopefully now this fall and winter um, I'll be able to sit down. I've got a lot to add to it. So mm-hmm. hopefully I'll be able to make it happen. Um, and uh, my email is hello at smidgen.com.
0: Okay. Well, I agree with what you said, even though this year has been what it has been, I feel like we have been able to take advantage of the outdoors more than any other year. Um, and we have been able to harvest more than any other year. And so- as as difficult as it has been job wise as difficult as it has been you know just politics and and unrest and things like that i feel like our family unit and the ability that we have had to get out and do the things that we love has has been a huge amount of our lives this year
1: you're you're so right and when i think about we talked about a lot about lessons and things mm-hmm. like that. Our life lessons that we truly value are centered around family and around our bonds and our relationships. And, you know, on our last days, we're not going to be wishing we worked more um, in no. our life. We're, we're going to be wishing we had more family time and went out on those cool excursions. And the fact that uh, 2020 allowed us to do that is, is a
0: big lesson in and of itself. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And guys go follow Jen, go, Look forward to what's coming in the next year and following her and her family and drop her a line of encouragement. Um, or if you have questions, she is so willing to answer them and engage. So take advantage of that. And Jen, thank you.
1: Thanks, Amy. It was so great to finally chat with you. glad to do it again.
0: Yes.